It's true, isn't it? All the things we say we're not going to say when we grow up and become fathers, and we say every one of them. It is true. Well, I hope you brought some food tonight to tailgate with us. We thought we were going to get rained out, but it looks like it has pushed through. So we're going to brave it. So if you brought some food, if you didn't, if you want to hang out, if you want to do Grubhub or DoorDash, uh, we'll do some of these. We had all kinds of giveaways planned for the tailgate, so we'll use some of those based on how much participation we had, and then uh, we'll do some on, on, online as well. So, hey, let me just, uh, a word of caution to the ladies tonight. I'm talking to the men. So I don't want to get any emails, Facebook messages, Instagram messages, tweets that I was mean. You can stay if you want, but I'm talking to your husbands and your fathers and your sons and your uncles and your brothers and your cousins. Sometimes men need to be comforted. Sometimes they need to be inspired. Sometimes they need to be encouraged. I understand that. But sometimes we need a punch in the mouth. We do. You might not understand that, but that's because you're not a dude. Joshua 24, 14 to 15. It says, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods, of your, the, the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family... Right? How many of you have this placard somewhere in your house, right? As for me and my family, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, choose this day. I love this quote by Mike Tyson. If you're a dude, you know this. Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. I hope that this sermon for some of you is going to be a punch in the mouth. Because you have a plan that's not God's plan. Whether you have committed yourself to it consciously or whether you've committed yourself to it subconsciously, that you're headed in a direction that is not God's story for your history. You cannot read encounters like the Apostle Paul when he was still Saul on the road to Damascus and not come to the conclusion that sometimes Jesus needs to encounter us in a violent way. He was knocked to the ground. He was blinded. Everyone who was with him was terrified. Jesus knew that Paul did not need someone to come up beside him and say, could I just talk to you for a minute? Now, are there stories in the Bible where Jesus does that for men, where God does that for men, where the Holy Spirit does that for men? Sure there are, but there are also times. There are also seasons where as men, we need someone to grab us by the collar and shake us out of our spiritual stupor Vanessa didn't know what we were gonna, I was going to preach on tonight. I love that worship wrap-up because she's given you a vision of what you're going to find when you come back to God. My job is to get you moving in that direction. These verses that I just read to you in Joshua 14, we've only ever been taught and understood that it's about a religious choice, but I'm here to tell you that it's more than that. It's about everything our fathers and their fathers before them have passed down from generation to generation. Whose example are you going to follow? And I would add to that, what kind of example are you leaving in this world? Because their example, our father and our father's father for generations, their example of fatherhood 
is too often a broken, fractured, cowardice idea of manhood. And so I say to you this day, choose. Choose this day. Father, I pray for the hearts of men in this room that you are going to grip them. I pray for men and their hearts in this room. I pray that they would find their courage. I pray that your Holy Spirit would stir inside of them. I pray that even now, as we pray supernaturally, that you would, for those who have made a vow of devotion to Christ, Holy Spirit, we know that you are in them, and I pray that you would begin to rumble and their soul would feel it. And for those who have not made a vow of devotion to Christ, I pray that they would be drawn to you like never before. Come on, in Christ's name, and everybody said... Amen. And all your wives said, look out. (laughs) Duck, honey, duck. I'm going to give you three choices tonight, and then we're going to break them down one at a time. I'm going to challenge you tonight to choose God's promises. I'm going to challenge you tonight to choose God's men. And I'm going to challenge you tonight to choose God's house. The first one, choose, choose God's promise. Real men don't hide. Somebody say hide. Real men do not hide. 1 Samuel 10, 1 through 9, it says, Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it over Saul's head. He kissed Saul and said, I am doing this because the Lord has appointed you to be the ruler over Israel. They did not yet have a king. They were clamoring for a king, but God had not yet given them one. He says, You will be Israel, his special possession. Listen, all right, now listen, to what, listen to this detail. When you leave here today, now I'm not going to read all this because of the story, but God showed Samuel all of this the day before. Even before he knew he was going to run in to Saul, God had given him all of these details. He says, you will see two men beside Rachel's tomb in Zelzah on the border of Benjamin, and they will tell you that the donkeys have been found because the reason why Saul is out in the wilderness to begin with is because he's looking for his father's donkeys. They will tell you that the donkeys have been found and that your father has stopped worrying about them and is now worried about you. He's asking, have you seen my son? And when you get to the Oak of Tabor, you will see three men coming toward you who are on their way to worship God at Bethel. And one will be bringing three young goats. Right, You see the detail that's here, right? One will be bringing three young goats. Another will have three loaves of bread. And the third will be carrying a wineskin full of wine. And they will greet you and offer you two loaves which you are to accept. Now, again, I'm going to skip the rest. If you keep reading down to verse 9, you will find detail after detail after detail after detail that the Holy Spirit revealed to Samuel, who is God's prophet, and the Old Testament prophets are of themselves a prophetic picture of the Holy Spirit, reveals all of this to him. He doesn't even know that he's going to run into Saul, and, but, but he knows that he is now, right? Because God has told him it's going to happen. Saul doesn't know. It's a chance encounter right providence and then he unloads all this detail on him he does this because he's trying to help Saul to be prepared for when self-doubt comes he wants Saul to know I am involved in the details of your life and when self-doubt comes knocking at the door you've got to choose which voice you're going to listen to and so God is giving him a competing voice for the self-doubt that is soon to come. Saul was in the right place at the right time, which we're going to get to in a minute. Note this, because he was out serving his father. 
1 Samuel 10, 20 to 24. Let's move forward through some time. 20 to 24, it says, So Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel before the Lord, and the tribe of Benjamin was chosen by Lot. Right? He knows that, that Saul is going to be the first king. But he wants people to know that God picked him. Casting lots was a way of randomly selecting some choice. It was an Old Testament. We even see it practiced in the New Testament for people to take themselves outside of the decision-making process so that the outcome can only be controlled by God. So they would cast lots. And of all the tribes, the lots fell to Benjamin. Verse 21, then they brought each family of the tribe of Benjamin. You see, every family would come forward. And they cast lots. And the family of the Metrites was chosen. And finally, Saul, son of Kish, was chosen from among them. You can appreciate, right? The crowd, there's the sense of anticipation and excitement of who is God going to pick out of our entire nation to be our king. And finally, Saul, son of Kish, was chosen from among them. But when they looked for him, listen to what it says, he had disappeared. Not the fun kind of disappear like we see in the New Testament where God just transports you to a new place. The kind where he was hiding so they asked the Lord, where is he? And the Lord replied, he's hiding amongst the baggage. So they found him and brought him out, and he stood head and shoulders above everyone else. And then Samuel said to all the people, this is the man. We all want to hear somebody say that about us. This is the man. The Lord has chosen as your king. No one in Israel is like him. See, this picture of him hiding amongst the baggage is the image of self-doubt. And you and I have our own baggage that we hide in. You and I have baggage that we bring into our marriage, that we bring into our fathering, that we bring into our churches with us and into our workplace. All of us have it. We're like two... Buddies who were billionaires going on vacation, passing through the airport, and there's more baggage than the eye can count. That's you and me going through life. We need people to help us carry it. We've got so much baggage. Now, your baggage might be different from my baggage. Your baggage might be more traumatic than my baggage. I understand that. But what I want you to know is we all have it. We all have baggage. So at some point, you've got to stop having a pity party about the baggage that you have and stop hiding in that place and start looking at that pile of baggage and going in and picking it up one at a time and bringing it out and getting help. So go find the bag that has your father issues name written on it. Pick it up. Don't hide in it. And go find some help. And when you're done working on that one, go get another one. And I'm not going to name what the other ones are because there's kids in here. But you know what some of them are. Too many men today are hiding in their baggage like Saul, and that baggage is talking to them. It's talking to us. You can't do it. You don't deserve it. You don't have that right to challenge your family to a higher standard because look at who you are, look at what you're doing, and look at what you've done. Your baggage talks. That's why you got to go in and pull it out and work on it 
And over time, I'm telling you what, that room will get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And that voice will get quieter and quieter and quieter and quieter. At some point, the church has got to stop being a place that coddles men and gives them a sense of permission to wallow in their self-pity when they're supposed to find courage and begin to deal with the mistakes of their past. When you find yourself hiding in the baggage of your past, what I would say to you is you've got to find the road of serving your father. You might say, well, Fred, if someone were to speak to me, like Samuel spoke to Saul, and and were to utter something that profoundly supernatural over me, maybe I would have the courage that I would need to deal with my baggage instead of hiding amongst my baggage. And what I would say to you, if you've not had that encounter, it's not because God doesn't want to speak those things over you, it's because you're not traveling on the right roads. This idea of Saul being on a road because he was in the service of his father is imagery for us to remind us that we bear some responsibility as men to put ourselves in the kinds of environments, in the kinds of settings, so that the things that we need to hear from God will be spoken and we will hear it. But even when it's spoken over you, Even when you begin to hear those things, by being in services like this, by being in base camp, by going to life groups, by going on the men's retreats, you put yourself in those types of settings, you're going to hear God begin to speak some promises over your life, but even then you have to choose which voice are you going to listen to. Because Saul had all of this, and even still, he hid in his baggage. His insecurity won out. If we had continued reading in this text, what we would have found is that Samuel tells us that God gave Saul the heart that he needed to become king, and it says he became a new person on that day. Listen to me. If you are a devoted follower of Christ, God has given you the heart that you need to be the husband that he expects you to be to be the father that you promised that you would be, to be the friend and the neighbor and the church member and the employee that God expects you to be. He's already given you the heart that you need. The question is, will you find the courage that's already in that heart to step up to the responsibilities that have embraced you? You've got to remember to choose this day God's promises that are being spoken over you instead of the insecurity whisperings of the baggage of the disappointments of your past. Number two, real men don't run. Somebody say run. Real men don't hide and real men don't run. You can't do a Father's Day sermon where you're talking about punching men in the mouth and not read out of 2 Samuel when it talks about God's mighty men. These are the names of David's mightiest warriors. Let me just do 8 through 12. We're going to be off the clock just a little bit, but that's okay. That's going to give that rain time to go through so you can cook up those hot dogs on your grills. Have your best interest at heart here. These are the names of David's mightiest warriors. The first was Jeshobim, the Hakamite. 
who was the leader of the three, the three mightiest warriors among David's men. He once used his spear to kill 800 enemy warriors in a single battle. Okay, that's a lot of people. Next in rank among the three was Eleazar, son of Dode, a descendant of Ahoi. Once Eleazar and David stood together against the Philistines when the entire Israel, Israelite army had fled. He killed Philistines until his hand was so tired to lift his sword, and the Lord gave him a great victory that day. Listen to what it says. And the rest of the army did not return until it was time to collect the plunder. Did you know that David's mighty men were mighty because of the company that they kept long before the feats that they accomplished? They were mighty because of the company that they chose to keep long before any of the accomplishments that are recorded for us in these texts. There is little difference between the rate of divorce between Christians and non-religious people. It's tragic. This isn't a crisis of faith, men. It's about a crisis of manhood. These men that are running from their families... It's not because they don't believe in Jesus. It's because they don't believe in themselves. I'm not here today to condemn you for your past, your past choices, your past mistakes, or mistakes that put you in a situation that was unavoidable. I'm trying to protect you from repeating yesterday's mistakes again tomorrow. It's because the divorce rate only climbs in your second and third and fourth marriage. It only climbs. And it climbs equally amongst men of faith as it does people who are not religious. Men aren't running from their marriages because they stopped believing in Jesus. It's because they've stopped believing in themselves, and that must change. It must change. 2 Samuel 23.10 says this, He killed Philistines until his hand was too tired to lift his sword, and the Lord gave him a great victory that day, and the rest of the army did not return until it was time to collect the plunder. One of the problems that we have is that churches have stopped being places that tell men, stop being a plunderer when you're called to be a hero. Stop being a plunderer. When you run out on your family, you are plundering the emotional well-being of your children's future. You are. That's what, a, that's what a plunderer is. A plunderer comes back only when all the risk is gone, when somebody else has done the work and wants the prize of the battle for their own selfish reasons. Real men do not run. They do not. They do not run from their families. They do not run from their marriages. They choose to be a hero and they say to themselves, I refuse to be a plunderer. I refuse to take from those that God asked me to protect. At some point, man, you've got to choose to not believe the lie that you have a right to happiness. You have no right to happiness. You do have an expectation that God has put on you to search for meaning in this life. And what I will tell you, as a man who's old, who's been married for a long time, 
and who has said everything on that video in the opposite before we got started. A true dad. That if you search for meaning, whatever happiness that's entitled to you, that's where you're going to find it. If you find yourself contemplating running from your family, I want you to remember today that there can be no victory if you are absent. There can be no victory if you are absent. Jesus did not get to the foot of Golgotha and at the moment of truth say, you know what? I don't think I can carry through with this. No, no, no. When the ascent got steep and the cross got heavy, and the weight of the sin of the world was upon him, he pressed on. There would have been no victory for you and I if Jesus had not shown up on that day. And there will be no victory for your family and for your marriage if you are absent. Remember that staying gives God something to work with. It gives him something to work with. The wedding at Cana, there was wine because there was water. Because there was something for Jesus to work with. The feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000, there were basketfuls of food left over because somebody said, it's not enough, but it's a start. Because they gave Jesus something to work with. You might be hiding in your baggage and you can't wait to run because you don't think you've got enough. And what I would say to you, what little that you have, what little that you bring is enough for God to do something miraculous in your life and in your family. Just as you've got to choose God's promises if you're going to drown out the voices of insecurity and choose not to hide, you've got to choose God's men. You've got to choose God's men if you're going to find the courage to stand your ground and not run out on your household. Because I'm going to tell you again, they were mighty, not first because of the things that they did, but because of the company that they kept. And you've got to look around at the people that are closest to you. I'm not just talking about the men that you share time and space with. I'm talking about the men that you're willing to be vulnerable to and the men that you're willing to let them tell you no and you will stand in that no until they give you permission otherwise. If you don't have men like that in your life, then you are neither mighty or nor do you surround yourself with men who are mighty. Number three. Somebody say quit. Real men... Do not hide, real men do not run, and real men do not quit. They do not quit. Second Samuel 11. Don't get nervous if, if you've got kids in here. I'm not going to read all of this story. If I had said turn to the Song of Solomon, you would have really gotten nervous. In the spring of the year, Bible jokes. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Reba. 
However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem, and late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed, and as he was walking on the roof of the palace, he looked over, and he noticed a beautiful woman. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, and then David sent messengers to get her. Now, you know the rest of the story, and again, you understand why I'm not going to read the rest of that. If you don't know that story, then you can read it for yourself later. A man who is described as being a man after God's own heart was a murderer, he was an adulterer, he was a liar, he was a manipulator, and he was many other things just as you and I have been many things in our lives. But you have to decide whether or not the mistakes that you have made in this life are going to define you and characterize you, or whether or not they're going to be your teacher so that you can move forward and become the man that God has created you to be. You see, this picture is powerful for us because I believe, like all of Scripture, there is prophetic imagery abounding. You see, this picture of David, he was in the house, and then he stepped out onto the rooftop, is an image of a man stepping into a mindset of entitlement. It's stepping into a place where you can purview what the world is offering you. And when you stand there, you're choosing to posture your heart in a way that says, I'm entitled to these things. Maybe because of self-pity. Maybe because of your power and your authority and your economic status or whatever privilege we want to put on that list, you feel like the rules don't apply to you and you are entitled. That's what happened to David. The imagery of his house is with in the boundaries of the moralities that God gives to us. They are not intended to rob us of pleasure, as you have heard me say so many times before. They are to protect us from mediocrity. And at some point as men, you've got to get off the rooftop and get back into the house of God's boundaries, which are for your safekeeping. Isaiah 56, 7 says, I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem and will fill them with joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. He's not talking about a physical temple here. The house of God was a way of life long before it was ever a place on a map. Let me say that again. The house of God was a way of life long before it was ever a place on a map. Quitting means giving up on God's morality because we feel entitled to more than what God allows. Let me say that again. Quitting means giving up on God's morality because we feel entitled to more than what God allows. If you stand at the gate of the boundaries of God's morals long enough, you will pass through to the other side. If you stand there with that latch in your hand long enough, I'm telling you, you will go through that gate and into the misery that awaits you. You should, listen to me, you should never contemplate a choice you should never allow your will to make. You should never contemplate a choice that you should never allow your will to make. That's why the Apostle Paul talks about in one of his epistles 
that we submit every thought into the captivity of Christ. When you find yourself wrestling with quitting God's moral boundaries, I would encourage you today, remember that part of loving God means fearing God. We have lost our sense of the fear of the Lord in modern-day Christianity. We have lost it. And it's time for us to find it again. Jesus himself said, Jesus himself said, don't fear the enemy. He can't do anything to you. You should fear the one who has the power to cast you into Hades. Fear him, he says, talking about his father. See, some of us, we don't have a full picture of who God is because we've never gotten out of vacation Bible school. We're stuck there. Jesus with the little lamb on his lap. Now, he is all of that. But you should also read the book of Revelation and you are going to find a different picture of Jesus that you don't want to encounter in your life. Because there is another side of him that demands justice. There is another side of him that has standards for us. There is another side of him who is holy. And he has the right to make that demand for you and I because he died for the sins of us that put him there. Remember that your appetite for pleasure is also a capacity for courage. And for many of you, self-indulgence is taking up too much space. Remember that your appetite for pleasure is also a capacity for courage. I'm going to invite Dom to come back up and play some keys as we're coming to a close. Remember to choose this day God's house for your house. You see that little placard that's hanging in your house? At some point, it should mean something to you. It should mean something to you. And what I want you to understand, it doesn't just mean the moment where you chose to make a decision to become a Christ follower. It's got to mean more than that. Because God intended it to say more than that. Choosing God's house means that you are willing to abandon yourself to the will of God in every sense, in every manner, and in every way, especially when it's hard, especially when it's going to cost you something, especially when that baggage is calling out to you with such a familiar voice, it's like the gravitational pull of a black hole. I'm telling you, you got to dig in your heels, and you got to remember the promises that God has spoken over your life and if you don't have any then you start serving him in every way you know how and I'm telling you those promises they will come in those moments in life when you want to cut and run for some of you you're contemplating running right now and your family doesn't even know it today could be a turning point for you if you're at home watching right now on this live stream And you've been thinking for a long time about running. What I would say to you is settle your heart and choose to stay and give God something to work with and watch what he might do. Because the water of your life can become the wine of your family that they're desperately thirsty for. If you're here tonight and you're trying to decide is it worth it? <laughs> oh. When you read the stories in this book of these people that paid a great price to do great things, you know what I can guarantee you right now? 
that when they were on their deathbed and when they were breathing their last, that question never entered their mind, not one time. Because when you pour your life out in service to him and those that God has entrusted to you, you're gonna have regrets, but you're not gonna have the kind of regrets that rob you of the peace that he wants you to have when you pass from this life to the next. Stand with me. Father, I pray for every man that's here tonight. Father, I pray especially for the young men who've not yet made the mistakes that cause many of us to blush when we look at our yesterdays. Oh, Father, I pray that this message would firm something up in their hearts, that they wouldn't have to repent of hiding because they're not ever going to do it, that they wouldn't have to repent of running because they're not ever going to do it, that they're not going to repent of quitting because they're never going to do it. And for those of us who have, I pray that we will never again. And for those of us who are in the midst of that choice right now, I pray, I pray that that plan that they came into this sermon and into this message and into this moment with, that Jesus, that you would come in like a hurricane and a tornado and a storm and just tear it up and begin to birth in them a new plan and a new hope and a new belief and a new desire for a future that looks like your story that's supposed to be their history. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Come on, and everybody said together, amen. We'll see you at the tailgate.